0: And seated. If you grab your Bibles, turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter five. Uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses here this morning. If you don't have a copy of God here in front of you, there are some at the table right there. Go ahead and grab one and um, and flip with me there to First Thessalonians. If you have, uh, if you're unfamiliar with where that is at, you can check the table of contents or also. There are several small books in the New Testament. If you look, it's towards the back of your Bible. If we were just in James, that's where we've been, uh, turn to your turn backwards a, a little while and you'll run into First Thessalonians. I tried to re- recite the books in the first order, but I am afraid that I would do it incorrectly, so I'm not going to. So we're going to be in First Thessalonians then, chapter 5, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 10 and or nine and ten, excuse me, and eleven. We'll look at eleven also. Um, we'll spend a little bit of time there this morning. But we're beginning a five-week sort of series talking about exclusively, talking about the gospel. I think this is important, this is what's been on my heart. I feel like together we need to dive in and just understand, talk about terms, talk about where we've been, and understand how uh, the truth of the gospel impacts our daily lives. So I want to be talking, thinking about the gospel together, whether it's here on Sunday morning, whether it's together in community, I think it's of vital importance to us. We watched that video earlier, we talked about being fluent in the gospel, we talked about the gospel a lot here. But sometimes I wonder if we actually know what we're saying when we're talking about the gospel. Um, and so we're going to take five weeks, that might seem like a long time, we're going to do it, we're going to unpack it, and I hope to show you that that, that that probably is woefully inadequate to talk about the gospel rather than, rather than adequate. So um, again, so I just want to start by, since this is week one, talking about this, I want to start by talking about three things that I, reasons why I think that this is important for us to do together. Why I think this is important for us to do together. Um, First of all, this is this is it. This sort of even registers in our vision statement together as a church. Um, First of all, the, the gospel is central to all that we do, or not always is it, but it should be. Right, the gospel should always be. It has to be central to everything that we do. I think that as believers, as those who um, live here in the here and now, um, we oftentimes give the gospel lip service. We talk about the gospel and we say this and that and the other thing, but really all we're doing is just adding praying hands emojis to text messages or, or slapping a, a PTL every once in a while. Praise the Lord. If you're not, okay, cool. All right, so if you're not up on that hip text lingo, um and every once in a while too in our in our lives we say something like God is good or like or or uh or or just simply like Jesus is Lord or something like that. So so the what we need to do then is move sort of that lingo that's kind of like floating out here and that we're grabbing every once in a while and, and, and inserting into our speech, take the gospel, take the good news of what we know that Jesus Christ has done for us on our behalf, and bring it from out here and lock it in here, right? We need to bring it from out here and we need to lock it in here. We, what we can't do is continue to, to just leave it out there and just grab it and pull it in when it's convenient for us. But rather, we need to do it every single moment of every single day. Paul says very clearly, we're looking at 1 Thessalonians this morning, but, but Paul says very clearly in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 that the, the gospel is power. It's the power uh, to save those who believe. And so if we think about this together, if we think about what power is, right, think about just like an outlet in your home, right, if you want to vacuum your floor, you have to plug in the vacuum. You don't, uh, I mean, does anyone have a battery-operated vacuum? I don't know. But you have to plug in to the, the outlet, right, you have to plug into the source of the power. You're going to get frustrated, you're going to throw your hands in the air, and you're going to be frustrated because your floors are dirty, but you've left the cord unplugged in the middle of the room. It's the same kind of thing, right? If we're not plugged in, if we're not understanding what the power that we have to live by is, the the truth of the gospel, then we're going to throw our hands up in the air. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be anxious and angry, uh, sleep-deprived, de-energized lives, you name it, because we've left the gospel out here instead of locking it in here. This is important for us. So the gospel is central to all that we do, and it absolutely has to be central to all that. We, as those who are in Christ, Everything that we do. So that's number one. Secondly, then, second reason why we want to spend some time just thinking about the gospel, um, I think for many of us in this room, not quite understanding how the gospel impacts our relationships or our work or, or our vacationing, or our hobbies or whatever it is that you find throughout you, throughout the course of your day, um, uh, it's something that we're kind of okay with. We're kind of okay with. It. We're kind of coming out of this, this idea of keeping the gospel central. But maybe for us, like maybe for you, you're in a place where the, you, you run into situations and you're, wrong, you, you're really pretty good at circumventing them, getting around them, just, just moving around difficulties in, in your life. Um, or maybe it's just that you're just isolated. It's easier just not to engage with people in general. I find that sometimes, that's my inclination as an introvert, is just to not engage with people in general because I know that it's going to be a mess. It's going to be gross. It's going it's to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. And, and so I'm just not going to do it. Right? So we do that regularly. We talk about it. And so for us, sometimes, especially for, for if we're wired a particular way, it's easier just not to engage. Um, but... Honestly, what we need to do instead is understand how the gospel informs dealing with jerks, right? I mean, they, we need to understand how the gospel informs our interactions with other people, even when we don't like them, even when they, they seem different from us, I and mean, when they, they, they act in a different way or, or do different things or have different rhythms or patterns or whatever it is. Jesus says very clearly um, that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and you can't, you can't do that if you're cutting people out of your world. You legitimately can't do that if you're cutting people out of your world. It's not love, to, it's not loving your enemy, even those who, who slander you or, 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 or revile you. It's not love to cut those people out. And Jesus didn't, Jesus, we, we see this played out in the life of Jesus. He didn't cut out the toxic religious leadership who was literally trying to kill him. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I don't have anybody who's literally trying to kill me. In my world, he didn't cut those people out. Rather, he engaged them with the truth of who he is, or the truth of who he was. He said, "No, no, no. I'm not going to walk away from this situation because I don't like the. I don't like you. I don't like the way that you're. I don't like your tone right now." He said, "No. What I'm going to do is I'm going to engage you. And I'm going to engage you um, with everything that's in my being." This engagement, when Jesus told them who he was, it made them angry, but it didn't lead to Jesus cutting them out. So that's the second thing then, right? So firstly, we want to keep the gospel central in everything that we do. Secondly, we need to understand how the gospel impacts our relationships, our work, and any any place that we find ourselves in our day-to-day life. Um, finally then, uh, sort of why we want to unpack this together, is that I think for many of us in this room, just defining the gospel would be a hard task. Um, it's when I sat down to do this, it wasn't an easy thing. I was like, do I include this, do I not? What what, what, what comes? What, what actually constitutes the good news of the gospel? And so for us, looking at this together, um, I think that it's good for us just to be on the same page, to get on the same terms, to do this. And I've heard this a lot, like we've seen this a lot, like online or wherever, just like, what do you include in like, your definition of uh, the gospel? Um, what's necessary and what's not? Um, let me read you some attempts at definitions, and just so we're clear before I say these, these are not good definitions. So these are definitions that uh, may sound good, but we'll ultimately define it together in a minute, um, and we'll talk about some of the essential elements that need to be included in our definition. But here are some attempts that I've found to define the gospel. Again, incomplete or altogether incorrect, but, but these are, these are these are some definitions that people have thrown out there. The good news is that God's face will always be turned towards you, regardless of what you have done, where you have been, or how many mistakes you've made. He loves you and has turned your direction, looking for you. That's one. Second, the gospel is the proclamation of Jesus in two senses. This is the proclamation announced by Jesus, the arrival of God's realm of possibility, his kingdom, in the midst of human structures of possibility. But it is also the proclamation about the truth, The good news that Jesus is dying and being raised. Jesus has made the kingdom he has proclaimed available to us. Okay? There's the last one. My understanding of Jesus' message is that he teaches us to live in the reality of God now, here and today. It's almost as if Jesus keeps saying, change your life, live this way. Again, these are incomplete or incorrect definitions. I'm submitting to these as as opportunities to to see maybe some of the things that are left out or some of these things that are altogether incorrect. So before we move then to our text this morning, before we look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 9 and 10, um, I think it's important for us to consider then just a definition, a working definition for us to think about. This is going to be sort of like in place of our big idea this morning. Um, so you'll see it on the screen behind me, um, and um, you can write it down, um, read it this week, maybe multiple times if you can, and then also I would encourage you, just as like a take home, to consider Romans chapter 1 verses, or chapter 1 verses, uh, let's see, Romans 1 through 4, just just look at Romans 1 through 4, and consider this definition in light of that, because this is kind of where I'm unpacking that, because I think it's a clear, although it's a lengthy passage, I think it's very clearly unpacking what the gospel the gospel is so. Again, write that down. Look at it. Uh, do uh, reflect on it throughout the course of the week. So this is the definition that, that we're going to use together. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. I'll read it again. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. Rose again to eternally reign as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. So four things are of utmost importance when sort of constructing this biblical definition. Right? Four things are are important for us. I think firstly, you see these questions behind us: who are we accountable to? What is our problem? What is God's solution, and how can we be included? This is basic stuff. This is the basics of the gospel. The, the entire Bible points us to the accountability that we have to, who are we accountable to? We're accountable to God. The entire Bible points us to that. Why? Because we are his creatures. We were created by him. We were created in his image for him. We are not created for ourselves. We are created for God's glory. And therefore, as creatures, we are accountable or we answer to God. That's who we answer to. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created all things, including man and woman. Creation, always accountable. Answers to its creator. Um, Secondly, then, what is our problem? Sin, or sin is just rebelling against God. What God has called us to do, what God has created us to do, what God has made us to do. So Romans 3:23, like I said in Romans chapter 1 through 4, um, Romans 3:23 coming to the end of that, um, Paul clearly writes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God, glory of God. What's our problem? We've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. What God created us for essentially. So then, um, what's God's solution, right? The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. But right after Romans 3.23, we have Romans 3.24 that says this, And all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All are justified, all are made right with God through uh, His grace, or by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So we're made right with God through Jesus Christ. That is God's solution to our problem." Now it's important to point out too when we look at this question, what is God's solution? It's important to answer the question, what is God's solution about what's ours? Because our solutions, when we when we look at this, when we look at our problem, when we come to a realization of our problem, we have a whole myriad, a whole glut of understandings of what it means to come up with a solution, and they typically involve doing good things. They typically involve like the video we watched earlier, moralism or legalism. They typically they typically include comparing ourselves to other people. They typically include us focused inward and um, in making sure that we're in a good place um, and existing is- exclusively for ourselves. So this is important to ask the question: What is God's solution, and how does He play? How does He lay it out for us in the pages of Scripture? God's solution for us again: Romans 3:24. All all are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, last question then, when constructing this definition, how can we be included? Simple. How can we be included? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Romans 4, verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, righteousness, it's a fancy word anyway of saying, and the one who does not work, the one who does not rely on himself, the one who does not rely on herself, and the, and the good things that he can conjure or she can conjure up, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, this is God for us in Christ Jesus, his faith, her faith, the faith, the belief, the trusting in the promise is counted as righteousness. And I I think, I submit to you this morning that anything that doesn't include these four, these four answers to these four questions is not a complete definition. I think that we absolutely have to keep these things in view when we're talking about what the gospel is. So again, the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again eternally as king, so that now there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only never-ending joy or everlasting joy. And that, that is a clear message. It's not a convoluted one. It's don't trust yourself, trust God. You are accountable to Him. He created you. You are His. You have a sin problem. You are separated from Him. And you need to rely on His solution by believing in Christ Jesus. So the question then is, how why is this so hard for us? But let's go to our text then this morning. Let's look together just at these two verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. So there are two things then out of this text that I want to discuss this morning. There's sort kind of these two pillars that are, are driven down in this text, right? not destined to us for wrath, so we don't get wrath, but salvation, but we get salvation. So, first of all, then, in verse 9, that God is not destined us for wrath, it's important for us to contemplate this, we might ask the question, when we're asking the question about what are we saved, how or why are we saved, or what are we saved from, this is important for us to ask this question. Because I think a lot of us say, like we're saved from our sin. And that's, that's not wrong. It's just not complete. It's just not a complete understanding. Jesus Christ is same, came to save sinners. So, what is he exactly doing? So, if you think about this, if you go underwater for a period of time, right? You go underwater for a period of time, and you need to breathe, but you can't swim. You're underwater. You need to, you need to get some air. And how someone hops in the lake or, or in the pool or wherever you're swimming and pulls you out. Right. The question is, what are you saved from? What are you saved from? Are you saved from uh, the water? No, you're saved from drowning. You're saved from the, the water going into your lungs and, 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 and you're, you're, you, you, you no longer can breathe. You're saved from drowning. The active element that you need saving from is drowning. You need to be saved from drowning. Water is just the condition around it that makes drowning possible. And that's what it is for our our sin is just the condition that makes it possible for us for, for, for us to die and us for uh for us to need saving, right? So your sin isn't what you're saved from. Your sin, like the water, is just that condition that made eternal death possible. The, the wrath of God is ultimately what you're saved from. This is what Paul writes to us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this is what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. What is death? Death is complete separation, a complete... Uh, Uh, separation from God no more relationship with God and what is life then in result life is perfect relationship with God death is what we all deserve because of our sin and this is not final it is eternal ongoing unrelenting pouring out of God's wrath against those who don't trust Jesus this is what Bible calls hell all right, this is probably not a topic that we like to talk about a lot, but this is what the Bible calls hell. It calls, um, it, it calls this unrelenting pouring out of God's wrath against those who don't trust Him. The Bible calls it hell. This is not a place where you go to party with your friends, where you go to, to hang out, listen to Garth Brooks. This is a place where we're just doing our sin thing. Somebody got that. But it's a place where the uninhibited wrath of God is poured out eternally against us. This is, what, this is what we're saved from. And an understanding of this is fundamental to our understanding of the gospel. If you don't grapple with the fact that outside of Christ you are under the wrath of God, then this good news that we're talking about, this gospel that we're talking about, is not good news at all. It is only news. It is just something. It is just a word. Because there's nothing to be saved from. If you're not in Christ, the Bible is clear that you are His enemy, separated from right relationship with Him. I want to read this quote from a book called What is the Gospel? by a man named Greg Gilbert. He writes this, The images the Bible uses to talk about God's judgment against sin are truly horrifying. It's really no wonder the world reads the Bible's of how to calls Christians sick for believing them. But that, but that misses the point. It's not as if we're just, it's not as if we just make these ideas up ourselves. Really, we're going to make, this is me now, we, we, we're going to make this up? Like that is craziness. No, we talk about hell finally because we believe, that we believe the Bible. We believe what it says that hell is real. And we believe it with tears when we say that people we love are in danger of spending eternity here. So we don't revel in the picture, right? We don't revel in the picture of hell, but we reflect on it with humble hearts understanding what the future was for us and how it's been altered, how it's been changed, how now our future is something completely and utterly different if we are in Christ. So first of all, for those who are in Christ, we don't get wrath, right? But we get salvation, right? This is what Paul says here. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, saved from the wrath of God to rightly live with God because of the cross of Christ, but the gospel isn't just a one-time get-saved thing and move on. It's an ongoing understanding. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Who died for us so that whether we, this is Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live to him. Paul elsewhere writes to the church in Philippi. He writes, "To live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? To live is Christ, and to die is gain." That's what he means here. If you're dead in an earthly sense, you're living with Jesus in His presence. If you're dead in an earthly sense, you're living with Jesus in His presence. If you're alive in an earthly sense, you're living with Jesus and living for Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you're living for Jesus, you need the gospel just as much as the person who's not. You need it every single moment of every single day. This truth needs to be central to everything that you do. You need to wake up in the morning and you need to preach to yourself. You need to reflect on the wrath of God that was set against you and the, the abundance of grace that has been demonstrated to you in Christ Jesus. Before Jesus, you were broken, but Jesus broke in and changed your story. And then you need to take that truth, you need to take those things, that understanding you need to apply it to how you view every single one of your situations, every single one of your relationships, every single one of your joys, every single one of your trials, every single one of your excitements, literally everything, whether awake or asleep, you might live with him. So we ask this question frequently. We ask this question frequently on this Sunday morning in community. Why do we exist? Why do we exist? The Bible is clear about why we exist. We exist to bring God glory and enjoy Him. That is, that is the essence of worship. That what it, that's what it means to worship God. is to bring Him glory and to enjoy Him. And so for us then, worship isn't just coming here and singing a song a couple more once a week. Worship isn't, uh, worship isn't this dedicating uh, or dedicating yourself on a Sunday morning or on a, a weeknight to, to, to meeting together with some people. Worship is dedicating your week to glorify God and be satisfied in, in Him only. So how do, we, how do we glorify God? What does that look like? What does that, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to glorify God? I think it's very simple. I think it's just to keep this understanding right here, right in front of us. Just lock it in. Right To understand what he's done to us, or for us, on our behalf. And we would speak the truth regularly to ourselves and to others. And we would run everything through this filter. Again, the gospel isn't this one-time thing that begins and ends with you making a decision for God. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the truth, the power by which we live every single moment of every single day. We don't make this decision and then muster up good stuff as a Christian. This is a, this is a prevalent theme in Christianity. We don't do this. We don't, we don't sit down and we don't say, wow, I've been saved. Now I guess I've got to figure out how to live a good life. We don't do that. We keep the gospel central. This is why the world looks at the, the, the church sideways, I'm convinced. This is why the world looks at church sideways. And Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, what is, what is this all about? Like, what, what is he even talking about? I think the world looks at the church sideways because it's a bunch of people who say they believe one thing, but then they go out and do something else, right? This is the fundamental of hip, the fundamentals of hypocrisy. Right? So like, the church is full of hypocrites. Yes, we know. We're, we're, we're hypocrites. If you believe the truth of the gospel, you believe that you're a hypocrite. We say that we love our neighbors. We say, oh, I love my neighbor, but then we don't even know the person who lives next door to us. Right? We say everyone is welcome, but that message is only communicated by a man on the front lawn and not by people. That's what the people of God look like when they rely on the gospel as a one time thing and not the most important ongoing truth in their reality. The people of God look like um, a bunch of hypocrites when they don't make the the, the truth of the gospel more than just a one time reality was like, wake up in the morning and say, Boy, I was under the wrath of God, condemned to an eternity spent separated from God. But think about this. Jesus made a way. Jesus built a bridge. And when I stood there and stared at the bridge, He walked across, grabbed my hand, pulled me across, and I kept turning back around, looking back and saying, You know what? That looks really good back there. I'm going to go back there. I'm going to go back there where I came from. I'm okay back there. Let me go back. I think I can find satisfaction there. I think I can find, I think I can find what I need there. I think I'll be okay. And Jesus says, the joy that you find there is temporary and leads to destruction. Come, join me in everlasting joy that can only be found in me. You need the gospel because your tendency is to turn and look back. You want what the world offers so badly your flesh wants it. You can't deny it. You want money, you want power, you want sex, you want comfort, you want a bigger house, you want a longer vacation, you want a steak dinner. I want a steak dinner right now! You need the gospel, you need to see that none of those things can satisfy for you for more than a mere moment. We'll stay time. I shared, I shared this with our community group a couple weeks ago. I just... I just I just struggle as a person, just a human with my flesh, just I just look at the world. And Rebecca didn't even know it's like at eleven o'clock last night I was talking about this. I was talking about just like anxiety of personal finances. It's just I worry about money, I I worry about the this month to month season that God has this and I just worry about it. It's just not I just, I just worry about it. But, but what I don't need is more money. What I need is more of Jesus. What I need is more understanding of what the truth of the gospel is. I need more of an understanding of what I'm actually satisfied in. I don't need to lay in bed and keep my wife up until 11 p.m. telling when she has to wake up early with three kids and do all that stuff when all I need is more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. I need to find that His work on my behalf is life-giving. My where turning me around on the bridge and saying, that's, that's good back there. I want it. Give it me more. more of that. And I need to preach the gospel to myself. I need, the, I need the gospel to be preached to me. I need you guys as much as... I need you. Like, I need you to preach the truth of the gospel. You said that anxiety that you're feeling about money is garbage. I need to stop reflecting on what the world says is important. Start reflecting on how God has altered my eternity. Right? Whether I'm asleep or awake, I'll live with him. And I think I would get that first. Just like just give it all away. Right? Just whatever. Whatever. Give it all away. So God has been exceedingly generous with me. You need a car? We have two cars. We have two cars. There are two cars. We, we walked here this morning. Why do we need two cars? Does anyone need a car? Do, seriously, does anyone need a car? Come talk to me. I've got one. Not, it's not pretty, but you can have it. Yeah, I don't need it. My four-year-old for the first time this week really truly articulated the gospel. Why do we need two cars? We don't need two cars. Seriously, we'll go to the DMV. Come talk to me. Is that okay? Yeah? So I, the, the point is, the point is this: let, let the gospel inform your vehicles. Let the gospel inform your vacations. Let the, let the gospel inform your hobbies. Let the gospel inform your getting up and lying down. mean for your summer vacation that God transferred you from an object of his wrath to an object of his love? Ask that question. What does it mean for you that your mortgage, for your mortgage, that God transferred you from condemnation to acquittal? What does it mean for you that your your fishing, your hunting, your sports viewing activities, your fitness, whatever, that God crushed his own son so that you wouldn't be crushed? (coughs) Read the gospel every single moment of every single day. Walk away from all the garbage. Should I have two cars? You're going to be more worried about the truth of the gospel and communicating it to your neighbors, the eternal state of your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, even your own soul, than driving in Minnesota and getting salt on your car and rusting out. That's the perspective that we need to have. Wake up! We need to wake up. So turn this a little bit and move it a little bit of a different direction. This is kind of where we'll end this morning, but just look at verse 11, then. We only read verses 9 and 10, but look at verse 11, because I think this is an encouragement for us as we move out um, from here. Paul simply writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing beautifully, the church in Thessalonica is doing it. And so he can say to them, just as you are doing it. But the admonition is the same, and it comes through us in the same way that, that, that Paul writes to the church. So encourage one another and build one another up in what you're doing. this. therefore, right, in light of what I just wrote, in light of verses 9 and 10 about the gospel, um, that we were no longer destined for wrath, but have obtained salvation through Christ Jesus, and so that we will live for him, whether in life or death, whether being awake or asleep. Therefore, with that in mind, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Okay, so if you've been with us, we're going to put this up on the the screen. If you've been with us, this is just our mission statement at Buffalo City Church. It's just, we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of church lingo, right? That's a lot of church lingo in that thing, that statement, Right? And so I think what we do is we come to that and we look at it and it's nice, it looks great on the website, whatever. But we look at that and we say, what does that mean? I don't know. I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not equipped to do that. I don't know what that looks like. What what I'm going to say to you right now is that verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing is the essence of disciple making. It's disciple making in a nutshell. I really want to use this and, and just insert it here. We exist to encourage and build one another up and make others who encourage and build one another up in Christ Jesus. We should just say that. Maybe we should just change it. We've got a meeting later. We can vote on that. So, a disciple then, I just want to submit this to you, biblical understanding. A disciple is just a, a worshiper. We talk about what worship looks like. We talk about how worship is bringing God glory and enjoying Him. So a disciple is a worship, he's a learner. The word disciple literally means student. It literally means student. So like, you go to school, like, and you learn. And you learn about who God is and, and what his, who, who he is. And then finally, it's a witness. We've been called by Jesus to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so when we look at this, right, we see that a disciple worships God by finding satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things. This is a worshiper, right? This is our posture. This is where we put ourselves, right? A disciple worships God by finding satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things. And secondly, a a disciple seeks to know God as revealed in the Bible, so are you seeking to know God by, by reading your Bible looking into it being encouraged by one another to, to understand what God has revealed about who he is in the pages of scripture a disciple then bears witness to what God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf a disciple bears witness tells others of what God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf this is, a, this is what a disciple is a disciple worships, a disciple learns, a disciple bears witness. And So then we can just take those things, we can just move them just slightly to the left and say, um, what is a disciple maker then? A disciple maker is all those things plus one who encourages others and builds one another up to do the same. That's what it means to be a disciple-maker. A disciple-maker encourages others to worship God by finding their satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things. A disciple-maker encourages others to know God as revealed in the Bible. A disciple-maker encourages others to bear witness on what God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf. And that's it. It's not coffee every Tuesday at 8 a.m. That's not disciple-making. That's just coffee on Tuesday at 8 a.m. If there isn't any kind of intentional effort to encourage one another to worship God and find satisfaction in Him, if there's not any intentional um, effort to encourage others to know God as revealed in the Bible, if there's not any intentional effort to encourage others to bear witness that God God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf, it doesn't even have to be like a mentor-mentee relationship. This is of the way that we've structured this, right? It's like, like, no, 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 I can speak the truth of who God is to any one of you, and you can speak in return, you're making a disciple, I'm making a disciple, we're making disciples, we're ensuring that we are together in discipleship relationship, so a couple of statements that I'm going to make here right at the end, a couple of statements, we're just going to put these up on the screen. So, disciples who make disciples are those who encourage one another in the truth of the gospel and build one another up to be worshipers, learners, and witnesses. Simple. Disciples who make disciples are those who encourage one another in the truth of the gospel and build one another up to be worshippers, learners, and witnesses. This is why we do community? together. This is why we're together throughout the course of the week so that we have a venue to accomplish this. So we have a venue to do this. And this sets aside what we are in the mess and the awkwardness of relationship. And it says, Come with me, know, know God. Come with me, bear witness to who He is. Come with me. Let's, let's glorify God together in all that we do. And then the second statement the clarity of the gospel is what it makes possible for all believers, not just not a weekend training or a session or a book. The clarity of the gospel is what makes this possible for all believers. We're all called to this. We're all called to this. So then as we wrap up, we're going to wrap up in one second. Four questions to just go from here and ask yourself. Four questions to go from here and ask yourself as we talked about what the gospel is, we defined it, um, and hopefully it's been clear this morning. Four questions to ask yourself this week. Firstly, can I articulate the gospel? Do I know what the gospel is? Can I articulate what it is? You Just pull that definition that we talked about at the beginning and just memorize it or just rehearse it. Or put it in your own words. Sit down. Repackage it. Do what you need to do. If so, great, let's move the question to. If not, find someone, that also, find someone in your community group. Someone you can sit down with and just say, what's the gospel? S- speak it to me. And then say, what, what's the gospel? Let me speak it to you. And just say those things to, to one another. Can you help me speak the gospel clearly? Be humble enough to say that. Be humble enough to say, can you help me speak the gospel clearly? If we believe that this is central to our lives, we need to be able to articulate it. But secondly, in that, if you can't right now, don't feel bad about it. right? Don't feel bad about it. Peter says, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3.15. That he writes that we should always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. To make a defense um, for, uh, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope in you. That means that you need to be able to articulate the gospel. It implies that you have been or that you have to work to speak it. Right? It's not, it's not something that you're not going to be saved, you're not going to believe it, you're immediately going to be able to Just regurgitate it and just tell everybody exactly what you understand and know, right? So our nine-month-old, she can clap, right? She can clap, and we say clap, 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 and she clap, clap, claps, and that's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But for many of us this morning, um, well, ultimately, for let me carry the illustration out. She clap, clap, clap. But what she says, she doesn't say anything. She can't tell us that she's clapping. Right? She can't articulate that. She can't say, like, oh yeah, mom and dad, I'll clap now, clap, clap, clap. Right? It doesn't mean that she doesn't get it. She just can't clearly articulate it. She can't say, Well, yeah, I'm gonna clap now. Here we go. Here's the deal. There will come a day where she can say the word clap, right? There will there will most likely come a day where she can say the word clap there she can clap. Um so learning to speak the truth of the gospel is moving out of this illustration here is moving out of spiritual infancy. I think understanding and being able to articulate the truth of the gospel is moving out of spiritual in- infancy. So be humble enough to move out of spiritual infancy by asking your community to work this out with you together this week. Like get get together with some people and work it out. What is the gospel? Define it. Let me define it to you. Let me let me speak the truth of what it is to you. Okay, so that's the first question. And can I articulate the gospel? Secondly then, who am I encouraging, these are just the three questions we talked about disciple making, who am I encouraging to worship God by finding satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things? Who am I encouraging to worship God by finding satisfaction in Him and seeking to glorify Him in all things? Second and thirdly, who am I encouraging to know God as revealed in the Bible? This could be as simple as just saying, what does the Bible say about this? I don't know. Let's find out together. Fourthly then, who am I encouraging to bear witness to what God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf? Who am I encouraging to bear witness to what God has done through Christ Jesus on his or her behalf? So hopefully those are things that you can move from here this morning and that you can think through, that you can process. Um, and begin to to recognize. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what makes the gospel essential for us, why it's essential. Um, We're going to move that direction. Uh, Next week is Palm Sunday, so we're going to do that, and then we're going to talk about the grounded nature of the gospel on Easter Sunday and how it's a historical reality for us. So, um, let me pray, and we'll be done.